0: Hi, I'm Riley Fessler. I'm a podcast producer here at the DSR Network, which means that my job is to make sure that we have great content and great guests across all of our shows. Our programming is supported by our members, and for that, we are truly grateful. I hope that you'll consider becoming a member to support the work that we do. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for nearly all of our shows, early access to episodes, enhanced show notes, and access to our exclusive DSR Slack and Discord communities. Membership is just $7 per month, or $70 per year. To become a member, please visit thedsrnetwork.com forward slash buy. That's thedsrnetwork.com forward slash buy. Thank you very much for your support. There have been dramatic developments in Trump's many legal trials this week. Our episode, From the Silo, is a words matter from March of last year, where Norman and Kavita talk about the potential effects of a Trump indictment. Please enjoy. This is Words Matter
1: with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of
2: you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head into another election cycle and talk about what our leaders are saying and doing about things in the country and topics of interest. And uh, also want to thank our members for joining us in our members-only section where we're going to also cover a potpourri of topics. For the broader topic, I have to say it, uh, my favorite theme that I carried away from the last several days Tiny D, Donald Trump talking about uh, Ron DeSanctimonious and the back and forth. I think our friends on the Deep State Radio podcast, which I encourage all our listeners to also make sure they listen to, are going to get into some of the legal issues, which I am more than happy to avoid not being a lawyer. But, Norm, I think that it would be great since you and I have not had a dialogue about Donald Trump and just the social kind of conversations that have emerged both surrounding his indictment and around his treatment of his, even the people who have not declared that they're going to run for office. What is your takeaway, Norm, from his words? What was your, What is your kind of carry through on Donald Trump's temperament, what he's posted, what he's saying, and how to make some sense out of the nonsensical?
1: So many things to actually get into, Kavita. One part of this is his postings on True Social were even more unhinged than his usual unhinged postings. And I do think that deep down, there's a part of him that recognizes after a lifetime, many decades of committing illegal and terrible acts and getting away with them delaying, having lawyers who managed to work their way into the fissures of the legal system with a lot of bribes, no doubt, in New York, that now that string may be approaching its end, that they're really closing in on him. And I think his reactions reflect that. Now, there's another part of this. He is the one who said, I'm going to be arrested on Tuesday and then condemned the leak that he had given. And his lickspittles like Elise Stefanik piling on that stuff. Of course, he was not indicted on Tuesday or Wednesday and is not likely to be indicted on Thursday. But apparently in the meantime, he's raised one point three million dollars for his uh, legal defense. And the grift is there no matter what anything else is going on. But just to, to go through a couple of the things that have made him even more nervous. Certainly, this New York indictment is a significant part of it. Remember that the trial for E. Jean Carroll, what is now a civil rape trial, is looming as well. And if he is arrested in New York, they'll get his DNA. And shades of the 1990s, apparently E. Jean Carroll has the dress that she wore when he allegedly raped her with DNA on it. He has denied that he has even been anywhere in the same room with her. And you've got that. And then you've got this remarkable court ruling from the D.C. Circuit that the communications with another lawyer suggesting overwhelmingly that he lied to his lawyers about whether he had classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. And that could mean tape conversations and other interactions that get him even deeper into an obstruction of justice case in Florida. Then you've got the indictments in Atlanta looming and in Fulton County, and we're talking about perhaps five cases going on simultaneously, and he's running out of lawyers. I mean, this is like, you know, it reminded me of a a major league baseball team where every star is injured or suspended for uh, different kinds of violations and you have to keep dipping down further and further into the minor leagues to get players to go, what good lawyer would want to work for Donald Trump knowing, one, that there's a very strong likelihood that you'll never get paid and, two, that there is an even stronger likelihood that you're going to be hauled up before a bar association or maybe facing criminal charges yourself so this has been a bad week for him but at the same time and I want to get into this with you a little bit more as well it's astonishing to me the degree to which he continues to have this hold on almost all of the elites in the party other than Ron de Sanctimonius who rally behind him and condemn this as a political witch hunt so the republican cult is very strong out there.
2: Oh, it's, it's, and I, I gotta tell you, so I, I I even have like, I just have like kind of palpitations trying to even suggest that I want to inject other like crazy candidates into this conversation, but I, I kind of have to because on that point, one of the first people to come out and uh, say that he was going to run for office, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's like, I, I don't even know, like kind of, Faux libertarian part, part like someone who's, uh, you know, someone who's obviously going to be fine to stand up to all of his own crazy contestants by having his own crazy comments. He actually put out a video on Twitter and put it put on this entire like song and dance routine about how Joe Biden needs to tell the Manhattan DA to stop this politicized prosecution. And that, you know, I'm reading a quote since this is our is words matter. We are not some banana republic where the ruling party uses police power to arrest its political opponents. We are the USA. I mean, what, like, first of all, what made me very happy was to watch all the comments on Twitter, which were like, stop whining. Who the hell are you? Like, get off of this platform, which for the ones I actually agree with all the Twitter trolls. But I think you're right. Like, it's his own, like. Uh, like political opposition are actually trying to posture. And here's where I get to the question I want to ask you. It does seem like the elites are standing by him. We We saw all of like Midtown Manhattan basically go on a lockdown on Tuesday in preparation for this potential indictment. And exactly as you said, Trump kind of leaked himself. And then Michael Cohen on interview, you know, we've we've seen just this string of media. He's in the media. I got to be honest with you, Norm. I can't help but think that Trump is just ever so Trump like characteristically climbing the ladder and winning. And I don't know what he's winning at, but I put this in position of it is Thursday, March 23rd, that we're recording this podcast. Our incredible producer. We'll turn this around. We still don't have an announcement from Joe Biden. And so, what am I to make out of this vacuum? What would you say that, you know, these next months are critical and it does feel like Trump is getting the upper hand?
1: Well, certainly, if you're going to handicap a Republican presidential race, Trump's still the substantial favorite, no matter what happens with all of this. We have to say that he's still probably in better shape today than he was at this stage going into the 2016 Republican nominating circus. There, you know, Back then, almost all of the elites were opposed to him. They were highly vocal, and I can't say it didn't matter. I think it worked to his advantage because of that populist push against the elites. And I think their fear now is uh, in part a reaction to all of that. We're going to have to start doing some researching about what happens if you have a jailed presidential candidate. And can you, since we have this, continue to have this memo from the Office of Legal Counsel that Bill Barr used to say you can't prosecute a president while he's in office? The possibility that Trump could be in the middle of trials during a presidential campaign when it's over. If he has won, whether they'd have to stop the trials. Of course, it doesn't have anything to do with state cases. It's federal. But, you know, we've had, I was talking with some friends yesterday who had gone to Brown. And, of course, uh, Providence had a mayor serving while he was in jail. We're into very, very strange territory here. I'm less concerned about Biden not announcing. I think it's in some ways a formality. He's indicated that he is going to run. It's, you know, frozen other candidates from getting into it, and that's fine. But what we have to continue to focus on is the longer we go without these indictments moving forward, and that's particularly true in the federal side. And I think we're getting closer with Jack Smith, the uh, independent uh, or special counsel, with this bombshell revelation about Trump lying to his own lawyers. But you know, his lawyers, even if they're not particularly good ones, are going to be able to delay any trial. And then we move right into a presidential campaign cycle. And that's really tricky business. It's, it's why I wish, you know, in retrospect, that the Justice Department had moved more expeditiously here, you know, paying attention to the calendar. You you want to take time. You want to be sure if you have indictments that you can get a conviction. That you've taken it away from the immediate reaction after one presidential election, where you could have legitimate questions raised about whether you're going after your opponents. But we're so far into this cycle now that it it has to make one nervous. You know, when are these trials going to move forward? Assuming we do get these indictments, and when will we get that first indictment? The fact that it didn't come. Tuesday, Wednesday, and probably not going to come Thursday, the grand jury is convening again. From what I gather, even if they recommend an indictment, you wouldn't get it till at least the next day. Trump saying, by the way, that he, or at least speculating about whether he would smile to the crowd when he was arrested or whether he would demand that he actually have to do a perp walk handcuffed behind him so that he could rally his troops the idea that he was a political prisoner. The farcical element to this that layers onto the really serious business of a criminal who was president, who incited a violent insurrection, uh, who tried to overturn the results uh, of a legitimate election, who now we know uh, was actively involved with foreign powers, at least his campaign was, to tilt an election result, all of this stuff is unnerving.
2: And so we can get into kind of Bragg's, you know. I think the House GOP sent Bragg, uh, you know, asking for kind of a point by point around like the justification for uh, his bringing the investigation forward and the grand jury. But I think you you rightly pointed out before we started recording that if you look closely at some of I would say pretty respected Republicans like you know New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu and some others, that they are laying out this what might be i didn't think it was unreasonable norm but i want to have your reaction you know like look Sununu was like listen this could backfire on democrats It's building a lot of sympathy because yes even if he's like taken away in handcuffs and he does have like this indictment that people do feel like he's being too invasively attacked or something that doesn't merit this now i completely agree this brings to question of like when are we in a level for the real things that uh we've been waiting for as a public on kind of January 6th and all of the things that I personally would love to see him brought forward in justice for, is this like a, without getting into the legal merits of this, does Sununu and some of the other, like I would say, reasonable Republicans around the table, do they, are they getting some, is there some validity to what they're saying? Because on the surface, Norm, even I kind of wonder put this backfire on Democrats if they kind of overplay their hand on this.
1: I'm skeptical of that, Kabita. I think when you start to move forward, you know, there might be an immediate reaction. Although keep in mind that after Trump said, I'm going to be arrested on Tuesday and called his troops to come forward and actually almost uh, encouraged violence, at the uh, place where they were supposed to gather, there were more reporters than protesters. So I think it's at least as likely, I think it's more likely that as this moves forward and the evidence gets out there, Georgia and other um, things, other than that, you know, 30% of his ardent base who would shrug if he shot somebody in broad daylight on fifth Avenue. I think there's going to be some misgiving, some understanding of all of the chicanery that he has pulled off. Now, when it comes to a Chris Sununu or some of these others, I don't think that was a real reaction, frankly. they I have yet to see any Republican in office of significance saying, it's disgusting that you would have an affair with a porn star while your wife was home with a newborn baby and then would pull all kinds of shenanigans To cover it up as you did with the National Enquirer and other relationships that you had so that they wouldn't affect the outcome of an election, much less now condemning him for the violent insurrection, for uh, the classified documents and the uh, hiding of uh, documents, the lying about that. Nobody's condemning him. I think for a Chris Sununu, this is a kind of tactical move. You don't want to condemn him. You don't want to offer support when you know that there's likely to be some really bad stuff emerging. So you fall back on, well, I'll just analyze it. I think they're making a mistake here. Uh, so I, you know, I don't have a lot of respect for uh, those Republicans. I have less respect, of course, for the thugs like Jim Jordan and Comer and the others. Who are threatening a local prosecutor with prosecution himself, which of course is the antithesis of uh, limited government and conservatism, who are rallying against political prosecutions, the same ones who shouted, Lock her up, lock her up during the 2016 campaign. That's vile and it's way over the line and it's an abuse of uh, power. But the fact that you don't have any significant Republican in office who's saying, you know, this is really a bad guy. Uh, it just shows you that the cult is still very strong out there and it is a Trump cult, not just a Republican cult.
2: Yeah. And maybe it's, I'm going to phrase it, I take what you said and I, I'm glad makes me feel better. I'm going to kind of put it into like maybe two points that uh, are at least like a little more crystal for me. It's that he should definitely be indicted for what he did in this like porn star bribe. And that's, we can argue, like, could that be the least of his crimes, but he a hundred percent should also be indicted for inciting an insurrection, causing deaths, countless injuries, disrupting constitutional activities like the electoral vote process. And then also what will what we don't even know about, you know, from Georgia, on all through many other things that we will have some hopeful insight into in the coming months that actually forbid him or prevent him from ever running for political office. That's point one. Then the second point that I need to constantly remember is what we've talked about on this podcast before: that when we're talking about like elections, we're really talking about like dramatic scenarios to move people from voting, let's say, for Democrat to Republican. And there's no universe where like seven million voters who voted for like Joe Biden, you know, are going to somehow flip and vote for Donald Trump. Or even if we you move voters from DeSantis to Trump. That's really not necessarily going to be a product of sympathy. So I think this is that's uh, you're making me feel better as a thinking person. Well,
1: (laughs) let me mention a couple of other things, a little bit slightly different uh, topic, although not very different. Uh, With all of that, Trump remains a front runner for the Republican nomination. Imagine if all of this goes forward and he's denied the nomination because these republicans start to get nervous that there's just too much baggage there i do not think it's out of the question that he would decide then to run as an independent you know destroy the party entirely at the same time on the other side we have looming no labels which has raised almost 50 million dollars and will probably raise another 50 million a lot of it coming we think because we don't know for sure from Republican billionaires to get an independent candidate on the ticket. And they're targeting states that Democrats would otherwise win to try and pull a Jill Jill Stein. We've got a lot of twists and turns in this presidential contest, some of which revolve directly around Donald Trump and some of which do not. And then I just want to throw in one more feature for all of these things that Trump is being indicted for or might be indicted for. We have not had anything happen with what is very likely to be absolutely traitorous behavior. Trump and his family taking money from foreign actors and quid pro quo. There have been reports, and we know that the crown prince in Saudi Arabia bragged about this that not only did he have Jared Kushner in his pocket, but that Kushner was sharing the presidential daily briefing. With the leader of Saudi Arabia. That briefing, which has the most sensitive intelligence in it, very likely could have alerted MBS to Saudis who were cooperating with the Americans. And of course, we know that the Saudis have gotten off scot free when it comes to the brutal murder of the Washington Post journalist, Anand Khashoggi, with the connivance of Trump and his family. And Jared Kushner's been rewarded with a two billion dollar slush fund that he can use as a consequence. There's some stuff there that is so sorted, so Manchurian candidate like that it's off the radar screen because of all this other stuff that's come up. There's more there that that's true Why that why the is that we ought to be in jail.
2: Is this like a, one of those categories, Norm where we're like the there's so much noise that being able to, elevate, like, you no longer, I no longer, you and I no longer, the American public has no ability to actually think about, okay, here's what really matters. Like, I, I would have, as you were speaking, I, I was thinking, you're right. Uh, there's been no, like, zero discussion of it. Of course, I think you and I have colleagues who spend most of their time in this area. I know certainly many people who kind of their daily lives have completely been influenced by this, but I think this and then I, I also was a little surprised that uh, well, not surprised but you know, the media barely put any attention into some of the governors and the Eric voting system and just kind of you know the states that have now said well, we're no longer using this very you know this validated voting system. Oh by the way, this happens to be these happen to be the exact same states that like disputed the outcome of the 2020 elections. by the way, these are the states that are under investigation for voter tampering. Uh, voter fraud, tam- tampering, uh, all all the things that I think people are not crying out about that. And then on that third category, I'm, I'm still, we're still waiting for this decision in Texas on Pristone. But while that was happening, we've already had a state that has already signed and outlawed any medication abortions. And so those things are kind of they're getting eeks and some Twitter like momentum here and there and maybe an op-ed in the post every now and then. But they're absolutely not rising above to a level where like the public is talking about it, thinking about it. And you're right. Jamal. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Like I, I have zero idea who's thinking like what I, I don't even know how I don't even know like who or how anyone's being held accountable, if anybody will.
1: It's it raises an interesting and larger question about the processing of information. And we have a reality that most Americans don't pay any attention to this stuff. They've got their lives and they're, you know, focused on other things. They don't watch the news every night. Uh, They, you know, it's a relatively small number even that, you know, dig into the uh, Tucker Carlson talk radio uh, uh, ecosystem. What normally happens if you have a scandal that has a big impact is that there's one scandal and it gets enormous coverage day after day after day. And eventually it penetrates even those people who don't care about politics or pay attention to it. This is big. This is something different. We're in a different world now where there's so much going on. There are so many stories out there that they wash over each other and negate the impact. In a, a book I did with Tom Mann and E.J. Dion in 2016, we said Trump fends off one scandal with another and another and another. And of course, we know that even with the kind of mainstream media, the space that they're willing to give to corruption or scandal stories is a fairly fixed and limited because there are other things that they cover, there's so only so much room on a front page, and in you know the evening news that slots a handful of stories or any of the other media outlets that are out there, and if you've got a whole bunch of these stories, they last for one day or less, and the people who don't pay huge amounts of attention never even hear about them or know about them, and uh, I think there's a danger now, you know, as you said. We may get this earth shaking decision from Judge Kazmarek in uh, Amarillo soon, which will be an astonishing abuse of power with a one district judge targeted for these because of his radical views, who would basically outlaw the majority of abortions nationwide, make it much more difficult and more dangerous for women seeking abortions in blue states. And that comes along with all these other cases, New York and Georgia, the federal cases. How much attention will people who have their own lives to live, who are not sort of focused on this the way you and I and our listeners are, how much will they be able to absorb from this? How much will it have an impact on the larger views of whether Trump, in fact, is the most dangerous president in the history of the country? Yeah. And the most dangerous ex-president.
2: Yeah, it's true, because the history books, uh, even even despite the Internet and the ability to constantly edit Wikipedia, I I worry that if those things are not much the way, I hate to say it, much the way we've kind of been comfortable kind of, you know, with Clinton and Benghazi and some of these like incredible geopolitical moments, we're not doing that in many settings. and And we're also it's it's a little it's it's kind of fascinating. it reminds me of something that I, I think I learned when I was probably like twelve or thirteen. like if you really want to in- if you if you really want to like inject chaos into a situation, you just do everything to like distract from whatever the main focus is. and if you think about it, that's the Trump presidency in a nutshell, from you know from Scaramucci you know, with his four day stint as comms director to. Injecting bleach to all sorts of like it, it, it's almost hard to kind of put your hands around all those moments, but what they did effectively is injected chaos and created diversion, right? And that's it's uh it's it's amazing because as you're describing it, it worked. All right, so let's see. let's do kind of uh we did have a lot of events happening this week. I know that uh, we'll get into some of this with our members only section. Norm, what are you looking forward to? Like over the next coming weeks, I know we're obviously going to be following the indictment. We're going to be following all of these kind of uh, conversations closely. I followed with great interest the fact that the Fed did decide to raise interest rates, which I somewhat knew and saw as a sign that despite um, consumer price index and showing that, you know, consumers were still paying more than probably, you know, than we would have hoped. Inflation would have come down by now that the Fed still felt pretty strongly that this was the right course action. So I'm just going to be watching some of those numbers coming back. What are you watching for? What's, what's struck your attention?
1: So we have the biggest issue of all that continues to loom over us that kind of gets pushed off into the uh, background because of all this focus on Trump. And that's the prospect of default. Now, you know, we're at the end of March. or close to the end of March. It's not clear when this actually comes to its uh, real flashpoint. The Fed can, uh, and the Treasury, uh, I should say, can uh, delay it for some time with extraordinary measures. But sometime in the next two or three months, at least, we're going to have a serious confrontation. And it's, as I game this out, it's hard for me to imagine a situation where we don't. Um, have at least a short term default. And then the consequences that flow from that may bring them back. But, you know, the Republican demands for Biden in terms of draconian spending cuts will not be met. And Kevin McCarthy has the most tenuous hold on his own uh, conference. He can't just say to them, well, we're going to do some face saving measure when so many of them want us to go over the uh, cliff and into the abyss. And if that happens, one, you know, the the brief perturbation with sovereign uh, Silicon Valley Bank and the other banks, that uh, where we seem to have averted a serious banking crisis, that comes right back into focus and in a much broader way, and the international ec- uh, economic situation would be disastrous, as it would be at home, and that could blow up any consideration of anything else. Uh, so. I'm going to be watching that to see if we're getting any kind of movement or progress here on that front. And I'm not sanguine in part because Kevin McCarthy is such a pathetically weak and uh, morally bankrupt leader. The other thing uh, I'll be watching is Russia and Ukraine. You know, we can come back to DeSantis basically giving uh, Vladimir Putin a big wet kiss by, uh, saying that this was a territorial dispute and that, you know, he basically gave a nod towards Russia. If you're Vladimir Putin, you're going to look at all of that and say, you know what, if I can just hold out until November of next year, I'm going to win because we could get, you know, a Trump or a DeSantis as president, and then they're going to give me free hand to do whatever I want. They'll blow up the rest of NATO. So, what happens in the coming weeks? Uh, will the Ukrainians get enough weapons? Will they be able to sustain this? Can they actually make more progress in gaining back territory, or are we going to see, you know, the beginning of some pullback from the West that you know probably can't keep its own act together for another year plus? And I think the coming weeks fairly important on that front too. So, those are things I'll be watching. But of course, we're also just waiting to see. We may get this whole string of uh, indictments coming in the next couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, this is going to be all right. Well, on on that note, we've got uh, plenty to look forward to. And maybe I can end on something of a positive that as we're recording this, that uh, we, went through, <laughs> we went through something that I'm so happy we get to actually say, the Affordable Care Act's 13th birthday, happy birthday to the ACA makes me feel quite old because you can add those 13 years onto all the years when I started working on health care reform. But I will say it's great because they set they set a record. So as we'll end on this note for our listeners, a record-breaking 16.4 million people signed up for Affordable Care Act plans that are now referred to as Obamacare. Something we were told in the White House to never call it because that was absolutely something that they didn't want to have associated with the president in case it all went down in flames uh, during the most enrollment So this was one of the highest enrollment periods in years, um, and that just kind of shows like the strength of doing the right policy. It wasn't perfect, but it certainly happened at the right time. So I want to thank our listeners. I want to thank you for chiming in and uh, anything you can do to give us feedback and subscribe. We're on all the different podcast players. Tell your friends about it. Join and become a member less than uh, less than a latte every day and you can get access to our members-only content. And I want to thank our incredible producer for the DSR Network, Chris mean Quatt- Quatt- <laughs> That's like a, a word salad. And then our incredible show producer, Grant Haver. Look for next week's podcast around about March 30th. Take care. Welcome back to the members-only section for Words Matter. Norm and I are always happy to have a little bit of even more unfiltered conversations, but hit some topics that uh, we didn't have time to touch on. Norm and I took a little straw poll of some interesting things that uh, we noticed. Many hearings, in fact, while we're doing this recording, there is a very important TikTok hearing going on. And just in case you think Norm and I are not TikTok people, we are hip enough to know what TikTok is, and I am hip enough. To know to avoid it, so I will say that that's my my. We can maybe touch on what comes out of that hearing, if anything, or how that might uh, influence the United States policy on some of the social media giants that emanate from across our shores. But in the meantime, we decided we wanted to touch on a couple of topics. One near and dear to my heart, the announcement that the White House COVID team is going to be winding down, and this is uh, These are quotes from the press release. Uh, as a result of this administration's historic response to COVID-19, we as a nation are in a safer, better place than we were three years ago. COVID no longer disrupts our lives because of investments and our efforts to mitigate its worst impacts. COVID is not over. Fighting it remains an administration priority. All of those things are true. Yet it, it, all you have to do is take to Twitter and look at uh, the emotions that came out of that and the response also from people like Senator Richard Burr, who retiring senator from North Carolina and was actually a pretty important part of like the pandemic's All Hazards Preparedness Act, which set in stage many of the things we needed to use during COVID, the public health emergency. And and he basically kind of did a victory lap, say like, it's about time, you know, I've been trying to tell the White House for like a year now they needed to wind this down, all the way to kind of a contrast with some epidemiologists and very notable friends of this podcast, such as Lori Garrett, who feel pretty comfortable assessing the fact that we still have thousands of deaths each week that are preventable because of boosters or access to treatments that we are not preventing, and that we're watching, we still don't have a predictive pattern for many of these variants. And so how can we say that, like, you know, mission accomplished, not by a long shot, I'll say that I fall probably somewhere in between, which is not a really satisfying answer, I'm sure, for anybody. But there is something about the White House having a constant presence that I know makes a difference because they're in the room, they're in the principal's meetings, they're part of staff memo chains, they're able to kind of be a thoughtful input when necessary. But then I also have a, like kind of this mindset of like this needs to become responsibilities of agencies and departments. And that's what they're doing. They're letting each of the departments take ownership, as they should, over the various jurisdictions and just owning those topics. And so, again, I'm of two mindsets. Norm, your reaction. And then I want to segue into your topic, which is on the UN Climate Change Summit. Sorry, the report that came out from the UN on climate change. Apologies, not the summit.
1: Um, I'm not real thrilled with this move, and I was even less thrilled when the White House basically said the pandemic is over. In the uh, last week, a dear friend of mine and his wife both got COVID. He took Paxlovid, and it eased his symptoms. She had a terrible reaction and ended up in the hospital in a very serious place. For several days, her sodium levels plummeted, and She's now stable and okay, but it reminded me that COVID is still all around us. You know, I went to the, uh, we had a house guest when the gridiron dinner, that annual dinner takes place with the press. And we went to it. And then she went back to her home in Ann Arbor and texted, I just tested positive for COVID. These big events are still spreader events. This virus is still with us. There are still lots of people dying. And the problem with saying that the pandemic is over, coming from the highest place and saying we're winding down the office, is that the signal it sends to Americans is you can just go back to normal. And, you know, I, you, I've walked through airports now. You rarely see masks on the airplanes themselves. A handful of people are masked. And, Then we have another issue, which we should talk about at some point using your expertise. Long COVID. There are lots of people who are suffering really serious, debilitating, possibly permanent effects, including with their brains, but also organ failures. Lots of things that are going to be with us for a very long period of time that seems to be just sort of off the table in terms of uh, discussion. So there's still a whole lot going on there, and I understand the politics of this. You, you, we know that there was a tremendous backlash against Democrats over mask mandates, over the disruption in people's lives. Undoubtedly, it saved lots of lives. Undoubtedly, whether it's Florida or Alabama or Mississippi or Oklahoma or South Dakota, those governors who cynically Uh, refused to implement these procedures, killed a lot of people unnecessarily. But whether it's the right political decision to make or not, it has consequences. And they're ones that leave me very uneasy.
2: And I think it sends a signal, again, as goes America, so go other countries, right? So it'll end up being, for many countries that don't have, that are, are, we have a fragile public health system, but for many countries that have an even more fragile system, it sends a signal that like, yeah, you know, school's out for summer, we're all fine again, and don't worry about it. And so I, I couldn't agree more. So yeah, we should talk about long co- There are many things to discuss. So we'll put that, I'll put that, maybe we'll put that in and invite as we talk about, Lori Garrett and I actually had a nice email exchange about long COVID because we were talking about exactly this issue. What What should we be you know, what should the public be kind of wary of in terms of information? Tell, talk about your observations from the U.N. climate change report. So this report is staggering.
1: I mean, it basically says we are on the verge, uh, unless we take dramatic action, which we know will not take place, all of the major countries involved, that within a decade, we're going to have really serious global. And local disruptions in our lives that are going to last for a long time. I'm out here in California. I managed to, for a few days, I managed to avoid the worst of the weather that was so unusual out here torrential rains, Southern California, Northern California, some violent storms, tornadoes hitting in both places. And The idea that this stuff is happening just because it normally happens and not as a consequence of climate change is, of course, ridiculous. And at the same time, we know what's happening. We see it before our very eyes with these violent storms and disruptions. The sea's rising. One of the things that rarely gets talked about is up in Alaska and in Yukon, where they have the permafrost. Which is the you know aftermath of the ice age that is called permafrost because it's permanent, but it's not; it's melting. Underneath all of that is the pre ice age detritus, which means all of these dinosaurs, all of the uh, jungles and the like, with carbon dioxide that is much greater than what we've emitted. And if that melts, we could accelerate the pace of all of that. And people are going to dismiss this as a UN report. It doesn't matter. It obviously has not changed anybody's minds. It, it just boggles my mind that you see what's happening in Florida, in Mississippi, in Alabama, in Louisiana, places that are being harder hit in many ways by the climate fluctuations and the violent storms that uh, go with it. And the seas rising than any others. And you do not have a single Republican leader in any of those states who even begins to acknowledge it or says we have to do anything about it. So we're not in a good place. And this report, dire as it is, is not likely to be met by any sense of urgency greater than what we've seen. And of course, that's true not just here, but almost everywhere else around the world. So, you know. uh, My dear friend Al Franken, who this week is hosting The Daily Show, uh, had a little bit on the uh, report and basically said, well, as a baby boomer, uh, at least we can say, we baby boomers are on the last copter leaving Saigon. Uh, We're going to leave this behind. It won't hit us so much. But these next generations, boy, are they going to suffer from all that we have wrought.
2: It's uh, and before we were recording, I was just telling Norm that I wanted him to check out. I occasionally do succumb to the streaming phenomena of binge watching, and so I binge watched a. I think it's like a limited series um, extrapolation. It's on Apple TV, and it it's one I recommend because it sounds like the producers and directors and writers actually read this report and then decided to make a show about it. But it's basically a series. Staged in various aspects, various years of the future, kind of going through what you just said, 10 years, everything from torrential rains and flooding in many parts of the globe, including the United States, Miami being underwater, to like the Adirondacks burning down and like a constant haze over the entire country with like smog becoming a norm for, you know, all children in all settings. And so this is, uh, I don't know, it's one of those, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest, Nor. It's like one of those things that (laughs) few things paralyze me. This really does paralyze me because it feels like I can handle trying to understand how to like reform or cut cost control, social security, Medicare, those things actually I can make sense out of. I don't know what to do about something that would require the kind of changes that I've never seen, whether you're Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. I agree with you, the Republicans have been able to tamp the silence can, but I don't see anybody kind of, you know, other than Greta Thunberg, like a 16-year-old shouting about it, and I don't know what to do. So I I would love, maybe we can think about, I know that there are going to be hearings, not just related to this report, but the Senate, since of the Democratic control, I know one of the things I do want to do is to try to contrast and offer perspectives and we'll keep this as a theme maybe we can dig into one of those when we see um, a time window for our listeners because i I think a lot more people care about it but might feel like i do just a little bit paralyzed by like what to do and how beyond you know elections matter like how to go beyond that and that's you know that's where well we'll have to leave it there want to thank our members they're incredible and hopefully you'll get some engagement whether it's online or. Soon, hopefully, we Norm and I are trying to explore the very careful topic of talking to people in real life as IRL, as the kids say. So we'll keep you posted on the members section so that we can let people know what's going on. But in the meantime, see you all soon.